You're listening to episode 48 of season 12 of the GNU World Order for 2018-1911. As promised, last episode I want to cover Smartmon tools in this episode. I, I should give some kind of caveat here. I'm not an expert on Smartmon tools, but I think it's an important application to talk about, and I think I may as well be the person to talk about it. The reason I believe it's an important topic to discuss is because it's something that most people don't really think about. It's, it's, it's right up there with backups, making a regular backup of your data. It's just something that people don't, you know, very, very often do not think about often enough. And if we don't bring it up frequently, then most people won't ever utilize it. What it is, in this case, is Smart Montools, and Smart Montools is a, a package name containing components to monitor the health of a hard drive. And it does this through this interface called SMART, S-M-A-R-T, that stands for Self-Monitoring Analysis and Reporting Technology, SMART. That is usually built into hard drives at some at some level, like the, the firmware of a hard drive, it, it's got smart data uh, that can report on, you know, how many bad blocks there are on the hard drive, or or whether the the self-monitoring component of the hard drive is detecting that the the platters aren't spinning as at, at the rate that they should be, or or that something's overheating, or, or whatever. And the interface to to querying a hard drive about its smart status is is contained within SmartMon tools. There's SmartCTL, Smart Control, and SmartD, which of course is a, a daemon that can run smart, uh, smart probes regularly as the computer is on and then report back. Now other computers, I feel, or other operating systems rather, probably have this sort of built in at some level. I, I don't feel like they, at least that I've ever seen, I don't feel like they leverage it very well either, frankly. Um, there, there may be some kind of reporting mechanism. I, I mean, I haven't used other operating systems at this point, certainly on a serious level or honestly at all in, in so many years. I have no idea the status of them, but th- th- maybe there's some kind of reporting interface somewhere. You know, if you go to, I don't know, repair a hard drive, or, or a file system, rather, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of a hard drive utility application, maybe it tells you the smart status there. I, I seem to have an inkling of a memory that that, that, that might happen on, on, on one of the proprietary operating systems out there. But it isn't as if, I mean, I've certainly never seen someone sitting around at a cafe, and suddenly they get a pop-up that says, Oh, by the way, your hard drive is very likely going to fail in in you know in the in within this month. You should re- you should back up and replace it now. I've never seen that happen. Maybe it does happen. I don't know. Certainly, back in my lesser enlightened computer days, and I don't mean necessarily before I was into open source, although that would suit that term. But but what I just mean is that back when I didn't know about computers as much as I as I came to know about them later. Once I did discover open source and started actually paying attention to what I was doing on these devices, that would have been great because I know that I, I lost a lot of data way back then from just bad bad equipment, bad bad gear, and 
and it was super, super painful. I mean, I'm sure we've all been there, but it's definitely something that you don't really want to have to go through. It's, it's very, very painful, not fun to do. A little bit of warning would have been appreciated. Can I honestly say I would have paid attention to it? I don't know. You know, I mean, there's only a certain level of, of explicitness that you can force upon people. If they, if they don't heed your warning, then they're not going to heed it. And, and I don't know what I would have done if I'd gotten some kind of alert like that. So, in other words, I don't feel like anyone's really leveraging this fancy self-monitoring thing that hard drives have built into their firmware at all, and certainly on Linux, where it doesn't necessarily come set up for you at all, uh, it's it's certainly not being leveraged on any level. Now, now some Linux versions do have it all set up, but again, I don't know, I've, I've never seen, personally, I've never been sitting around looking over someone's shoulder and seeing a pop-up saying, hey, smart ha- smart control has detected that your hard drive is near death. You should you should back up and replace. I've never seen that. Again, could just be that I uh, since understanding this sort of thing and being on Linux, I just have n- happened to not experience that. So m- maybe it is something that happened. Either way, doesn't really matter. That's not m- my point. My point is that we should be aware of smart mon tools, smart control, smart daemon and we should be able to leverage it and use it so that it is as helpful as it really ought to be. So Smart Mon Tools, as I said, is the package name. It contains Smart CTL, and it contains Smart D, which is the daemon version, I guess, of Smart... Well, it's not the daemon version of Smart Control, but it it's a daemon that will run Smart uh, probes for you. So Smart Smart CTL is the direct user front end for, for, for the Smart monitoring on Linux. That said, there is a GUI uh, front end to smart control, and that's, that's really all it is. It's not a fancy application. It is very straight. This is exactly what smart control provides, except instead of typing commands in on a terminal, at a terminal, you are clicking buttons in a, on a, in a window. So it's called G smart control, and control is spelled out, unlike the command. The command is smart CTL. The GUI version of this tool is G smart control, C-O-N-T-R-O-L. So that's, it's written in G, it's using the GTK window set, that's why the G is in front of it, uh, but you could also think of it as G for GUI. So, you can install G Smart Control pretty easily. It's a very, it's a, it pops up a little window that shows the hard drives that it detects attached to your system, and you can click on the hard drive that you want to monitor and enable monitoring on that hard drive or run a test on the hard drive as you wait. Whatever you want to do, pretty straightforward. And frankly, so is the command. Uh, if, if even if you're not super familiar with terminal stuff, I, I don't, I don't imagine that the Smart Control command is all that intimidating, to be honest. So smart control, S-M-A-R-T-C-T-L, is the command. If uh, Unless you have configured your system in a very interesting way, you'll probably need root permissions to run, well, not to run the command, but to do anything useful with it. So I'm going to type in S, or S-U is what I use, but you can use sudo bash, and then you've got root permissions. You've got the administrative uh, permissions to do whatever you want. So, sorry, I'm mistyping my password a couple of times uh, for good measure. There we go. Okay, so smartctl-health doesn't give you anything. And the reason it doesn't give you anything is, well, it tells you, actually, and this is why I this is why I like to do things slightly wrong at first, because a lot of people say, oh, the terminal's too confusing, it's, it doesn't give me any error messages, and while that's certainly sometimes true, um, sometimes it's not, and it's just a, a matter of actually reading. So 
In this case, smart CTL space dash dash health renders an error, and the error very explicitly says smart control requires a device name as the final command line argument. So there you go. So we need to provide the device that we want to scan. Well, if you don't know what device you want to scan, then you need to do a little bit of analysis on your computer, on your system, and that's fine. We all do that sometimes. So LSBLK. LSBLK is a great little, um, it's a great little command that not, not, not enough people know about and use, I feel. But it's, it is list block devices. So if there's a, a readable, writable device attached to your computer, then LSBLK will list that device for you. And it does so in a really pretty format. I mean, like, pretty to the eyes, easy to read, not confusing. It has a nice little device tree type of, you know, a little graph, little chart showing you each device. Now, on my, on the current system that I happen to be on right now, I'm on my uh, laptop, and it doesn't, it, it only has one hard drive on it, in it, so it shows that the hard drive available to me is SDA. Now, within that SDA device is an SDA1, an SDA2, so different partitions, but, but the, the device, we don't, Smart Control is worried about the actual hard drive. It doesn't care about the partitions on the hard drive. It it wants to know about, there's this physical device that you can hold in your hand. How is it doing? So that's all we really need is the SDA. And and if you don't know, uh, SDA is, is simply the way, it's the, the magical, well, SD really is the magical string that Linux gives to hard drives. And not for probably the reason that you're thinking, SD cards, SD whatevers, no. SD, it stands for, I think, SCSI device or something like that, or SCSI drive. Basically, you can think of it as a SATA drive, so that's what that hard drive is. And A, it's because it's the first available letter in the alphabet. A, so you're, the, the first hard drive on your system is designated as SDA, the next one would be SDB, and then SDC, and so on. Okay, so, smart ctl dash dash health and then slash dev because and, and you can you should be able to tab through part of that at least so slash d and then tab should give you dev and then slash sda and that's really all we need so we'll just hit return there and its response is fairly terse it, it gives you its little copyright notice which it does after you do anything with smart control um but and then it tells you start of read smart data section and the the response that the result is, in, in my case, smart overall health self-assessment test result passed. That's it. That's all it tells you. It just tells you, yeah, uh, your drive is not about to die, so everything's more or less good. Now, if, if, if that underwhelms you, then you can see a lot more data with smart control, and that would be smart ctl dash dash all slash space slash dev slash sda, and then we'll hit return. And that gives you a lot more information. And in fact, I'm going to hit up on my computer, up arrow, and so that I have smart control dash dash all slash dev slash SDA again. And then I'm going to pipe symbol, and then I'm going to do less. And that lets me scroll through the results. And it kind of, it, it, it runs through it for you. Like every single thing that you could ever want to know about your hard drive. Uh, there's the model name, the device model, the serial number of that specific device, user capacity, sector size, rotation rate. Is it solid state or is it, is it 5400 RPMs or 7200 RPMs or whatever? ATA version, SATA version, local time. Um, and then finally, uh, oh, is smart support enabled? That's kind of important to know. It tells you the overall result again of, of whether it's pass or fail. 
and then it gives you all the data about the, that it that it looks at when it's determining whether something passes or fails those tests. So attribute data structures, reallocated sector count, power on hours, power cycle count, um, where leveling count, what state they're in, and so on and so on. So and, and it designates certain things. So for instance, on this particular computer that I'm sitting in front of right now, the power on hours is uh, a value of 98. I don't actually know what that means. Uh, and then it says, I don't think, for, I don't think that 98, for instance, means that it was on for 98 hours. Um, it, but but it tells you this is considered old age, updated always, when it last failed, never, raw value 6700. So so it kind of gives you an idea of where you are in the in the lifespan of that device. And of course, all of that is sort of a, it, it's mostly determined by smart itself, by the firmware, by the hard drive itself. This is how it's grading itself. Uh, other things are, are I, I, I'm not, actually, I'm not even sure. I, mean, I was going to say the temperature is probably probably taken from the motherboard but i could be i mean from the yeah from the from the system uh monitoring itself but this might all be from the firmware i'm not sure i'd have to look into that but the, the point is that you can see a lot of data about the drive and if you're really really curious about this sort of stuff then you can run this fairly frequently and and see how the data changes not a bad not a bad exercise and certainly not not a bad thing to be aware of what's going on with your your hard drive okay so the the gui version of this g smart control if you open that it's Sort of the same process. You select the device, except instead of typing it, you're selecting it. And then you go to uh, device, and you can go... Uh, the way... There might be a different way to do this. In fact, I'm going to check it right now. Yep, there is. Okay. So if you go to device, and then go to view details, that's not how I usually get there, but it's similar. Then you can get most of the output... Well, all of the output that you would normally get from the health check that, that you do with Smart CTL. And that's kind of the instant, like, yes, Smart is enabled, and here's... Here's the information we can just pull instantly from the firmware itself. And that's in the general tab of, of this pop-up window. That I, and you can go into attributes and see all of the other information that I was talking about earlier, like the, the sort of the, the, the self-grading that the hard drive provides for its own wear and tear. Power on time and how it grades that and what the, what the raw value of that is and so on. So all of this is kind of the, the standard. The, it's the dash dash health equivalent of smart uh, smart ctl dash dash health so that's available there now there is another section called self tests and in on the terminal with smart control you can do this with smart ctl dash dash test and then do either uh, equals short for a short test or long for a long test that runs a bunch of um well tests against the hard drive to detect uh, a lot of different kinds of inconsistencies or you know bad blocks or whatever so it's useful to to do that sometimes when you have two minutes to spare or two hours or, or whatever the long test would take uh, the the test on this on this hard drive is estimated to take two about two hours but I was running uh, a test on another drive that actually literally last night uh, and it took all night so so there's that so I think it kind of depends on a lot of different factors size of the drive health of the drive things like that so there you go that's um, that's smart CTL and it's it's easy to use and it is it's just right there it is one of those things that 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 we ought to be referencing from time to time even if it's just something that you do idly when you have nothing better to do you know just kind of open that up 
take a look at the the values, kind of get familiar with them, and start noticing if if they if they may um, if they change at all, because it's kind of important. Okay, so next is smart D or smart demon, and the smart demon is something that you can have running in the background, scanning your drives on uh, on on at, at regular intervals, and then to take some action if it detects something that is particularly threatening uh, on a on a from a report so there's a configuration for this and that is uh, slash etsy slash smartmon tools slash smartd.cont you need to be root of course to to uh, to edit that because it is located at the system level slash etc rather than for instance in your home directory slash home slash whatever your username is uh, it's a pretty straightforward configuration file it's um, pretty pretty well commented and and there's not a whole lot it's it's only about i'd say let, let's say 200 lines at the at, at the most probably not even that to be honest uh, you just configure you know what drive to scan or what dri- drive to check and, and how frequently and so on now the the harder thing is to get it to email you in case of failure and on personal computers i don't feel like everyone is going to have a, the computer itself configured to be able to email out on on servers it's pretty common to have procmail installed and configured such that commands can can automatically send email in the event of all kinds of events really whether it's uh you know a, a drive is failing a drive is filling up uh, you know running out of space uh, a user has gone over quota whatever so that that's pretty common and i don't feel like that's super common on personal systems necessarily so that's something to consider whether smart d you know will actually be very useful or not is is kind of heavily dependent i think on on whether you've got your mail system configured for for commands to be able to send you emails although that that being said there's still local mail so if if you are either comfortable with checking your local email then that would be something to consider or if you uh are certainly comfortable reading your 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 system log for for alerts from smart control or, or smart demon, as the case may be, then that would that would give you a heads up as well. And I keep meaning, I, I really do. I keep meaning to um, write some little program to run, you know, maybe as a cron job or something to to look at the system log regularly for some kind of alert from smart from smartmon or smart control, whatever smart demon. And then I I still have have yet to do that, but I I, I do want to do that because I think that would be a a killer feature to be honest you know like hey if if you get if there's an alert from smart d in the system log throw up a pop-up or something so that the user it, it knows that that something on their something on their system something on the uh, on their hard drive has been has been detected and they should i mean if nothing else it would be a great reminder to back up like that that alone i think would be worthwhile uh, and I, I can't help but i've been doing a lot of work in awk lately and 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 I just recently sort of thought, well, maybe I should also, maybe I should kind of walk away from awk and start learning Perl. And there are KDE bindings for Perl. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to write a simple Perl script to scrub system logs to find alerts from Smartmon tools and then pop up a little K, I forget what the, the little, the simple KDE pop-up. Um, library is called, but you, you pop one of those up and just tell the person, hey, your hard drive has, you know, has has just been upgraded to old age, uh, ha- having been having been new uh, for the past, you know, two years or or whatever. So that's that's something maybe I'll work on someday, maybe not. But the point is that it's there. Smart D is there. You can run it. 
You can get alerts on your local system when something is found. And the bottom line is that this is an important tool. It's an important package to have installed, and it's something to kind of just at least start using every now and again. You know, just get familiar with the values, notice when they change, kind of be involved in, in the life of your hard drive. It's important, it really is, especially if you're not a great backer-upper. I've already told you how I back up, so I am I'm, I'm I live a fairly worry-free life about hard drive failure. Um, it costs time, but I, I'm not too worried anymore about data loss, which is a great place to be, because for most of my life, that has not been the case. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to be in that position. But that said, it's still, you know, it's, it's important to know, because it, it does, it, it costs time and... And it does cost data because there's sometimes there's something on that hard drive that maybe it's not catastrophic to lose, but it's something that oh, I, if I if I'd known, you know, then maybe I would have backed up a little, you know, taken a more recent snapshot so that that game save file wouldn't have gotten lost or or whatever the the the, the theoretical data might be. So that's it. Smart Mon tool. Very least, just remember smart control dash dash health slash dev slash your hard drive device. Get get a pass or get a new drive, and always back up. And never compromise on the quality of your coffee. Listening to this, I assume that you have obtained a cup of coffee uh, and and a quality cup of coffee, or or you know what, some quality of coffee. I'm I'm actually pretty open on the quality of coffee. I I've look, kid. I've been around a lot of coffee in my time, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good, but it's still coffee. So as long as you got coffee, we'll continue. And I'm assuming that you do. So we're continuing. Now, for a very long time, I wanted to gather data, scientific data, about file systems especially. That, that's been something that I've been fascinated with for a very long time. And when I say fascinated, I say that very generously, because if I was truly fascinated about file systems, I would know everything there is to know about file systems. So really, it, it's sort of been just a morbid curiosity, I guess is what it qualifies as. And, and one of the things that I wanted to do was to be able to speak about a file system with some degree of knowledge and authority, and to be able to say, this is why I choose that file system. I, I think in, uh, for, for so since I've sort of reached that stage probably about mm, eight years ago, I, I think I'm finally at a point where I can at least eliminate one or two file systems from my list. And I can do that having spent the past at least four years, because I've been in New Zealand for four years, and, and I came here with this, this thing that I'm about to say. Um, so at least four years I've been running JFS, not exclusively, but but basically. I mean, I can't say exclu exclusively because um, the my work laptop does not run JFS, so so it's not exclusive. But but for my you know in real life, my Slackware systems have run JFS for for at least four years. I've I've my thumb drives have run JFS. My SSD drives have run JFS. I've lived and breathed JFS for roughly four years. And I feel like I've finally gathered a lot of data on, on JFS. It's not the big 
sort of, um, you know, ceiling to floor sheet of numbers that only I know how to decode kind of data that I was, I think I had, had imagined it would look like in my, in my wildest dreams, but it's still a heck of a lot of good data. And, and frankly, there, there, to be fair, there, there's been a monitor full of numbers that only I don't know how to interpret, but I know that they're errors and, and it's informed me of stuff. So here's, here's why I, I guess you could say I'm divorcing JFS. And, and I don't do it with spite. It's an amicable split, but it is something that I feel that I have to do. And here's why. I'll tell you. So, um, JFS is a perfectly fine file system. It has served me quite well, and um, unless unless I have a particular incentive to change this, it 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 actually is going to continue to power my main thumb drive. The thumb drive that I keep all of my personal data on is my home folder, essentially, not my literal slash home folder, but but that's where when I go to a computer, whether it's my laptop or my desktop or my work laptop or whatever, if I if I want to access a a file that that you would think, oh, that's in your home directory. It, it's on that thumb drive. That's the one that gets backed up automatically when I plug it into my desktop or my my personal laptop. It is my my data place, and and that will continue to run JFS because it just doesn't pay to to remove JFS from it. Yeah, grab you know 54 gigs of data put it somewhere, reformat the drive to X4 or whatever, and then put the data back on. That's silly. So so it's not it, it it's it's not a cold turkey kind of thing. It's just I'm I'm wandering away from JFS and and I have reason. So the the initial reason that started and, and this is good this isn't really about JFS. This is about choosing a file system. And and I, I chose JFS because I figured, well, it's a journal file system. It is open source. It's been around for a long time. And at the time, especially when I was choosing it, there was this big sort of there was this kind of uh, there was an uncertainty right there was kind of a feeling of well ext3 is here but ext4 is just coming out so if we look up when ext4 sort of hit the scene like when it probably got adopted as the official let's say ubuntu um file system not because i was running ubuntu at the time or anything but i feel like fedora probably had it earlier than than necessary and then ubuntu had it slightly earlier than necessary and there was this kind of there was a question among people using linux you know should i use ext3 should i go to ext4 Is ext4 stable yet can i rely on it that sort of thing and frankly i didn't want to make that choice and i just thought you know what i'm going to Here's what I'm going to do when when provided the ext3 or ext4 choice. I'm going to skip right on down in my Slackware installer to JFS, and we'll see how that goes. And it, w- it went fine. It, it ran fantastically on my SSD and my normal hard drives. It's great. Great for a thumb drive. Swell. First sign that JFS could have some, uh, let's say, um, some some lack of features was when I realized that JFS does not support resizing its file system. So if you have a partition on a drive and it has been allotted 60 gigabytes, say, and you realize later that 60 gigabytes was not enough and you need 80 gigabytes, even if you have that spare gigabyte to available to you on the hard drive, you cannot then tell, you can't go into a program of any sort and tell JFS, hey, 
You know how I told you only to take 60 gigabytes? Well, now I'm giving you permission to take 20 more, so 80 gigabytes. It will not do that. It cannot expand the boundaries of its file system. And that's just something that JFS does not support. And that's fine. It's just something that you obviously really, really need to be aware of, because th- that could be a deal-breaker for you. And I mean, it was it was almost a deal-breaker for me. Like I say, this was kind of the first sign that maybe JFS just wasn't quite flexible enough uh, for me, because I, I had... I had at the time split my system across a couple of different hard drives. Like there was, you know, the the core system was on the SSD drive, as you do, and then I had VAR and then Temp and a bunch of other stuff. And I kind of realized at some point that the, I think it was my VAR folder. Yeah, I think it was, I had started doing some virtual uh, machines in preparation for an app image talk. And and so I had all these virtual machines and I was using uh, Vert Manager on Slackware and Vert Manager by default, wants to save all of your images into VAR. And I just kind of let it let it do that, let it do that. I That that used up 60 gigabytes real fast. And so I thought, well, I, I need to, I should, I should expand my VAR partition. And that would solve this, this problem of diminishing space or, or having to delete images uh, before I'm really finished with them, that sort of thing. And that I realized at that point that you cannot resize the VAR partition. So that that's could could be a problem. Now, you could also argue, well, you know, you could just use LVM and make a storage pool as you as you just went over in a couple episodes ago, Klaatu. And yes, you're you're right, absolutely could. This may not be an issue for you. And I and I I get the feeling from from various um various websites or mailing lists rather from like 2004 that certainly the JFS community kind of felt like not really a big issue let's not worry about it It, it's um this isn't this is not a feature that jfs needs and so i don't believe that jfs is going to really probably go in that direction i don't i do not think and i'll tell you a little bit more why i think that i get an impression of jfs later but but generally speaking i i feel like jfs is maybe not designed for the laptop user and again that's fine so so jfs also one of the things that it does not support is um bad block um aversion or or blacklisting let's say so on for instance ext 2 3 or 4 you can use the e2fs Tune um, utility, which I should really know off the top of my head. I, I might have mangled the name, but um, I've been using JFS for the past four years, so I don't know any of these things. Uh, but you can use this the the, the file system tuner uh, tool for for ext two three four and among other things. I mean, you can certainly resize the, the the partition, but you can also feed it a list of black uh, of of bad blocks and tell it to not use those blocks, which is a super handy feature. It really is. Like you'd be amazed at how handy that is. Because if you if you have data within bad blocks or attempting to span bad blocks, uh, you'll get errors and and a lot of times frustratingly you will like even you know even your backups your your backups will copy mangled data from a bad block that sort of thing it depends on what tool you use and how you're backing up but it can happen so having the file system be aware that hey block 2,037,000 or 2 million 2,237,986,523 is bad so let's skip that one that's a great feature to have and JFS does not have that feature. It, there is no file system awareness of bad block. And again, from very old mailing list postings, and, and I don't know how, 
you know, these might have just been general mailing lists. I'm, I'm just kind of working off of memory here. But when I when I would search for these for this information, I would come across things where the the, the, the other users of JFS just seemed not to really think that this was an issue and questioned why it was even a feature that someone would be looking for. And, and maybe that, that that wasn't the domain of a file system. Why would a file system need to have an awareness of bad blocks? That's the hard drive's problem. And if the hard drive has bad blocks, then you should be replacing the ba- the hard drive. Anymore. They're cheap now. Blah, blah, blah. So that's um, that's kind of the, the state of JFS. And again, that's sort of fine. There, there's a bunch of... There's little things, too, that JFS didn't do. Let's see. There was one where you... I think it was that you couldn't change... I should look this up really quick. I, I think you cannot change the label. No, you can. Sorry, I must be thinking of a different one. There's there's some um, there's some file system out there that you that has no allowance for changing the volume label, and you have to use this external tool or or this third party tool, I guess. You know, it's, it's insofar as there are third parties in open source to do that. But yeah, apparently JFS underscore tune can uh, set the volume label, so I, I was incorrect about that. But those were the two big things, the, the, the inability to resize a file system and the inability to uh, avoid bad blocks when bad blocks exist. That was the truly the, the deal breaker for me. That Well, I shouldn't say that. Having given it four years, having had a good run with it, and then realizing that it couldn't do the bad blocks, I just felt like maybe our time together was was over. Like, now it's time to part ways. And and I guess I guess yeah, I guess that is the deal breaker then. So bad locks was the thing that, that made me wander away from JFS and I've I installed um a full Slackware system because I because a drive was failing. And and I um I installed Slackware on a system on EXT four for the first time in years. Um because EXT four has those two features that I've just mentioned. Now to be fair, the partition resizing thing, actually, I don't actually care about that much. It, yes, I ran into it at one point. It wasn't actually that big a video. It was one of those things where kind of like, okay, well, now I know. Now I know better. It's fine. I'll, I'll allocate space differently next time. But for now, I'll just save my drive images or my virtual machine images elsewhere. And that's fine. It's not a problem. Um, not a big deal at all. But the, the, the bad block thing kind of, kind of, th- that, that, that's important. That's significant enough to really make me admire it in ext4 not necessarily think oh jfs should have that and i can't use jfs because it doesn't but it just made ext4 shine that a little bit more bright as as an option like uh, sort of one of those things where it's just like why wouldn't you choose ext4 when 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 laid out the the choices are are a file system that does not have this feature and a, a file system that does have that feature. I haven't done a whole lot of research in XFS, and I guess that ought to be one of my next targets for long-term use. But I, as I understand it, XFS may not have the bad block um, avoidance feature as well. So I, I really may have settled on EXT4 for the long haul. This might be my file system, and I'm fine with that. I just didn't want it to be my file system for no good reason. I didn't want to be someone who, who used EXT4 more or less blindly and... And then if ever asked, I didn't want to have sort of a, I don't know, because it was the default answer. I mean, that's a perfectly fine and acceptable answer. I mean, lots of people run in file systems without knowing why. That's not a bad thing. Uh, I just, I didn't want to be one of those people. I wanted to have some data on why that was the one that I default. And, and that's a huge feature right there, I think, is the bad block, the tuning, the EXT4 tuning, or the EXT tuning, really. It's not just EXT, or uh, rather 
uh, ext2 it's 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 all of the the ext uh, file systems that have these features whereby they can be finely tuned to do really fancy things like expanding the boundaries of their file systems or avoiding bad blocks and I don't know, probably a lot of other things. Uh, obviously, the journaling is important as, as well. And, and certainly, I mean, that was one thing about JFS is that you could have an external journal. And, and I haven't really looked into whether that's something that EXT uh, accounts for at all or not. It doesn't actually matter to me. I don't, I don't, um, I don't really anticipate needing that, but, but there it is. Another thing, I guess, about uh, JFS that, that probably deserves some some mention is the fact that that there there are utilities for it but they are very rarely installed by default again probably not a problem but if it's it, it, it's one of those things that can kind of sneak up on you and and has snuck up on me before you know I'll, I'll be somewhere with my uh porteous thumb drive formerly slacks thumb drive and happily running that and then plug my my some drive in and realize I don't have the drivers to read a JFS drive right now. So hopefully I have an online connection where, where I can download that module and insert it into Slacks or Porteous environment so that I can actually run the thumb drive that I live off of. So it's, it's definitely happened and it's something to be aware of if you ever choose to use JFS. But JFS, I think I'm going to say, you know, my, my view of it at this point is or my assumption, and this is purely just kind of through observation, uh, I certainly haven't asked anyone official about it, I haven't gone to a, a developer and asked what is this all about, but my assumption is that JFS is concentrating, or, or is, I think their their expected audience is a server, and whether you're using a RAID, or a LVM, or or whether you just manage your data, ver- your, your storage very carefully, they don't expect you to be doing very fancy things or very unusual things with those hard drives. It's I think the expectation is that you installed this hard drive array with JFS on it. The, the, that is the... Those are the disks that you have. Those are the drives that you have. They are the size. Those are the partitions. That's the layout that you have that you expect to maintain on that server. If one is dying, you're going to pull it out and replace it with a good one. And that's it. That's that's. I think that's the. I think it's sort of a, a, a set it up once and then run it till it dies kind of system. Perfectly fine. But for for everyday use, I don't know that that's the optimal model. I don't know if that's a. I don't know if that's a realistic model. Now, having said that, it's been a realistic model apparently, you know, all but once or twice a year for the past four or five years for me. But if you tend to manage your file systems a little bit differently than than maybe I do, and and like to change things around, then that could be that could be a more frequent thing that you would run into. As for the reliability of JFS, I will say it's been great. It, it really has. I have not had a problem with the file system itself. It is. I have witnessed it doing FSCKs. It, it is. It, its logging capabilities up here. Its journaling uh, capabilities seem to be fine because I've never. I've never been surprised by loss of data or missing data or anything like that. It, it's been. It's been flawless in that sense. But I, I have no reason to believe that EXE4 doesn't perform equally as well. I've certainly. I mean, I've. When I say I've run JFS for four years, it's not like I've never used EXT4. You know, I mean, I've I've used it. I've used EXT4. I've used EXT3, um, and I've never had a bad experience with it. So it wasn't like I was avoiding those for JFS. I just wanted to gather the data on JFS, and now I feel like I have reliable, 
but sort of very staying its course. So maybe that's okay for you, maybe it's not, but that's what JFS is all about. EXT4, a lot more user flexibility. And I guess I'll report back maybe in four years on my experience with EXT4. Maybe I'll have some interesting data on that. Maybe not. I mean, I hope not. I hope it's just, it's going great. Nothing ever goes wrong. That's that's what I hope to say in four years. But we'll find out. And, and I think uh, barring any update about changing file systems, uh, that's I guess that's what I'm doing now. I guess I'm an EXT4 guy. So thanks. Thanks for welcoming me to the club. Happy to be here. Excited to be here. And given that I'm pretty sure I hear the end titles starting to play, I think that, that means the show is over. So thank you very much for listening. I appreciate your listenership, and I will talk to you next week. for listening to the GNU World Order AUGcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AUGcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.